Well, once again, good morning to all of you. I do need to extend a reminder before I begin the message. Please, we need to, uh, out of caution and respect, make sure that we're wearing masks, uh, especially when we're close to each other, but we would encourage it uh, throughout our time together. So please, please do that so that we can uh, honor each other and care for each other as brothers and sisters. Well, would you, would you please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28. I think it's a sweet act of God that on this, our fifth birthday as a church, as Risen Hope Church, uh, we come in our study of Matthew uh, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, that phrase, he is risen, that uh, gets to the heart of what we are as a church and what our mission is about. And so would you follow, please, as I read, beginning at verse 1 of Matthew 28, down through verse 10, and then we'll skip down to verse 16. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified he is not here, for he has risen. And as he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Go, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. In verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And that will complete our reading of God's Word today. Let's pray. Father, would you please come? Risen Lord Jesus, please come. Speak to us. Prove yourself alive and powerful in our hearts today. This we ask for your glory. Amen. And so, God's people in response to he is risen, have long said what? He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. What comes into your mind when you hear the word Christianity? What comes into your mind when you hear the word Christian? What is Christianity? Can I suggest to you this morning that the only right answer to that question is Christ. Christ.
Christ is Christianity. Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and returning is what our faith is all about. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared. He appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve and more than 500 others after His resurrection. Paul says, this is of first importance. Paul is saying to us, That when all is said and done, after we've talked about all the other things that Christianity is about, this is what we should think about most. This is what we should preach about most. This is what we should dwell on most. This is what we should talk about most. This is what we should tell people about most. This is what we should fellowship around most. This is what we should believe most and apply most. Most, this is of first importance. Christ died for our sins and then was buried and then was raised from the dead. It is all about Christ. So we turn our text then to this passage that Matthew has written in Matthew 28 which is one of the early historical records of the resurrection of Jesus. And it's, it's interesting as we look at this passage to, to, to see that Matthew's account of the resurrection uh, includes some details that Mark's and Luke's and John's account don't include and the other way around. And there are people who have looked at these accounts of the resurrection and some of those differences and have been tripped up by that and have even accused the gospel writers of contradicting each other. But that's not the case at all. What's really going on is that there are various witnesses to the resurrection that give their own account of the resurrection and When there are various witnesses to the resurrection, there are going to be different details given. So if I were to say to you, this speaker over here, uh, you can all see it, I assume, over in this direction, that speaker standing on that stand there. If I were to say to you, uh, which side of the parking lot is that speaker on, you all would say what? On the right side of the parking lot. But if somebody were to ask me, Tim, which side of the parking lot is the speaker on, I would say it's on the left side of the parking lot because I am looking at it from a different angle and a different perspective. There is no contradiction there. In fact, there is cohesion there. There is accuracy there. The resurrection of Christ and the accounts we have of it in scripture are not are not exact in every detail but they are consistent in every detail if you're into 
crime shows. I'm sure there have been times uh, when you've seen a storyline unfold in a crime show and, and there are two people who, who claim to have testimony about a certain event or crime. And when those two people give an account that is exactly the same, right down to the details and right down to the phrases, what do you suspect? You, you suspect that they got their heads together ahead of time, and this is fake news. You suspect that it's not an accurate testimony when two people give exactly the same, right down to the detail account, you figure that they got their heads together, they planned out what they were going to say. Well, the gospel writers and the early Christians didn't get their heads together and say, okay, this is what we're going to say. No, they gave accurate accounts of what happened. And at the heart of that account, for all of them, is this, Jesus is no longer in the grave. Jesus is risen, and it's stated as an absolute, categorical, historical fact. Now, what Matthew does here, he's, he doesn't go into all that that means. He doesn't expound what it means that Jesus is now risen. He just says, he is risen. He is risen. The rest of the New Testament tells us why he is risen and what that means to us. And if, and if Jesus were here right now visibly so that we could see him and, and talk to him and we were to ask him, well, Jesus, what is it that you are risen to or what is it that you are risen for? He would say, well, I am risen to be Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He would say, I am risen to be president over all presidents. He would say, I have risen to be a living Savior. I am risen to provide forgiveness for all who believe. I am risen to, to bring people to new life and, and empower transformation in their lives. I am risen to make the weak strong. I am risen to, to be present with, when my people gather together. I am risen to guarantee that all who believe in me will one day rise as well. I am risen to reign. I am risen to make my enemies my footstool. I am risen to save the world from hell and from judgment. I am risen to gather in people from every corner of the planet and every tribe and every tongue and every language that there is. I am risen for all of these reasons, and we as God's people should say in response, Amen, risen Lord Jesus. Be all of that for us. Do all of that for your glory and for the good of a lost and confused humanity. Risen Lord Jesus, come and be alive in us and through us in our generation. The resurrection of Christ means everything to us. It is indeed everything. It is everything. It is all that Christianity is about. He is Lord, risen and ascended and reigning. Now it's fascinating, at least to me, that as I study Matthew's account of this, he doesn't go into all of that. And in fact, in Matthew's account, in Matthew 28, what Matthew focuses on with the Holy Spirit's inspiration is, is two things. 
that the resurrection was denied by some despite the evidence and was believed by others because of the evidence. As we look at Matthew 28, we see that the resurrection was denied by some despite the evidence and believed by others because of the evidence. Matthew focuses not on the meaning of the resurrection, but on people's response to it. There were deniers and there were believers in the face of the evidence that was before them. And the question for us is, which one are you? Are you a denier or a believer? Your answer and mine will decide and define our present life and will decide our eternal destiny. So let's look at this just briefly in our time together. First, the resurrection was denied by some despite the evidence. If your Bibles are still open, look back to chapter 27 and verse 62. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise, therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Here are, here are the people who have heard Jesus predict his own resurrection, have seen all that he has said and done, and they are worried. They want to make sure that nothing happens here that, that undermines or contradicts their narrative as to who Jesus is. They are determined to keep him in the tomb. And I think Pilate's being a little bit sarcastic here when he says, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. Okay, if you, if you want a whole battalion of soldiers uh, to guard the tomb and keep it secure, what are you really afraid of here? Uh, the reality is that I think there's a little smirk on his face here as he's talking to these guards. But he gives them the permission to go. And they seal the stone and they set a guard. And then as we have read in verses 1 through 10, the earth quakes and the stone is rolled away and the angels descend and he is not here for he is risen. And then we look down at chapter 28 in verse 11. While they, the women and the early disciples were going, behold, some of the guard The very same ones, by the way, who had experienced the terror of the earthquake just a few moments before. They went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. I, I'm fascinated by the fact that Matthew gives about 20 verses to the resurrection, and half of them are describing the unbelief of those who see the evidence but refuse to bend their knees to it. Here we have soldiers and leaders 
who felt the earthquake. They saw the darkness. They heard Jesus' prediction about coming back to life. They knew the tomb was empty despite every effort to keep Jesus in it. They had seen all the miracles. They had heard all the words, but still they would not believe. They would not believe despite all the evidence and the known fact. Friends, when it, when it comes to God and truth, when it comes to God and truth, need to hear this. This is biblical straight talk right here. When it comes to God and truth, unbelief is not the result of superior intelligence. It is the result of stubborn denial. Unbelief is not the result of superior intelligence. It's the result of stubborn denial. Unbelief is willful. And once it, once it takes place in the mind and in the heart, once it finds a little bit of root in there, it becomes blinding and binding to the heart. God talks about this over in Romans chapter 1 where He says that people in the world, they, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness so that the things that can be clearly seen about God, His existence and His attributes. Look, look, just look, my friends. Look around you right now. Look around you in this very moment. Look up. See the glory of it. See the beauty of it. Feel the warmth of the sun. Feel the breeze on your skin. Feel the goodness of this creation and all that God has done. And, and realize that we are just this teeny, tiny planet, this ball hanging in space in this vast, this vast universe that is full of design and wonder and beauty and glory that screams the message that God is and declares to us His goodness and His greatness and His power and His glory. And yet, we live in a world where people wake up every single morning and they don't see any of it. Because their hearts are suppressing, Paul says, the truth. It's kind of like if we were in a swimming pool right now, which would not be too much fun in this weather, a little chilly. A little chilly, but if we were in a swimming pool with a big beach ball, you remember as kids or you kids have done this probably just within the last few weeks, a couple of months, when you have a beach ball in a body of water, whether a pool or the ocean or whatever, and you try to hold that beach ball under the water, you, you try to push it down and, and suppress it and keep it down, it's hard to do, isn't it? But people do that with the truth all the time. Just think of truth as a beach ball. And, and people don't want to face the truth. They don't want to deal with the truth. And so they, they get on top of that truth and they push it down and they try to suppress it and they try to bury it, but it keeps popping up. And they try again and it keeps popping up and they try again. That's the world when it comes to the reality of God and the reality of Christ. Suppressing the truth. And somebody asks, someone may ask, well, why in the world would people want to suppress the truth about God and suppress the truth about the resurrection? I'll tell you why. Because if the resurrection is true and if God is real, it's a game changer. It changes everything. 
From that moment on, when I am convinced that God is there, God is here, God is real, and Jesus is his son, crucified, buried, risen, and returning, at that moment when I deal with the reality of that, everything changes. I am no longer my own. If he is Lord, then what do I know? I'm not. And if he is Lord, that means he's in control. That means he is in charge. That means he is king. That means he is on the throne. And people don't like to give up their autonomy. They don't like to give up the throne. They don't want to give up the rule of their life. And so rather than face the truth and its implications for their life, they suppress the truth. And sometimes it gets, it, it, I want to be respectful, Some, sometimes it's so confusing and, and surprising how hard people try to suppress it. Here in Matthew 28, here is the reality, the facts that are right in front of them. And they just wouldn't believe. And in fact, in the face of the facts, they try to create another narrative. Now, Jesus wasn't really raised, even though he said he would be, and even though there was an earthquake, and even though the stone was rolled away, and even, even though his body isn't there anymore, and, and even though all of this happened, he, he's not really risen now the disciples must have come and taken his body away, even though there were guards there. You see, you see the, the tragic um, absurdity of it all. Where are you at in your faith here? Are you a denier? Are, are you willing, I wonder, to take a hard look at the evidence, at the facts? Would you be willing to go on a journey from where you are right now into the evidence, into the facts, and explore. Could it be that what I have so long denied is the actual truth? Could it be that the God I've ignored has been there all along waiting for me? Could it be that this Jesus I've heard about so often or maybe never heard about before could it be that he is Lord? That he really did die for my sins and was really raised from the dead? Could it be? Are, are you willing to go on a journey exploring the evidence and the facts? Or, or will you dig in your heels and harden your heart and refuse to face those facts? There is that first group of people who did not believe despite the facts. And then there was a second group of people who believed because of the evidence and because of the facts. What we need to see in this text is that those who did believe didn't always believe. What we need to see is that the, the women who were there at the graveside by the tomb of our Lord. They were not there waiting for Jesus to come back to life. They were waiting there in grief and in sorrow, ready to anoint him in his grave and in his death. When we read back in chapter 27 that Joseph of Arimathea came and wrapped him in a shroud and, and put him in the sepulcher, in the tomb. These were not the actions of faith. These were the actions 
of doubt. These were the actions of, of grief. In fact, we read in John's account that when one of the women actually encounters Jesus risen, she doesn't first recognize him. And instead of believing, she doubts. And she says she thinks she's, he's one of Jesus' enemies. And she says, what have you done with my Lord? What have, what have you done with his body? You see, they were not believers until they saw the evidence. In fact, down in verse 17, right, of chapter 28, it says, when they saw him, even when they saw him, they worship him, but some doubted. You know, why does this matter that those who believed did not always believe? Well, what it means is that these were not a bunch of gullible people who were just ready to believe nonsense. These were people who needed to see some evidence. These were people who need, after all, they were about to commit their life to this person, Jesus. They, they were... A, if, if Jesus was alive, then they were going to have to commit their life to him. They were going to have to talk about him everywhere they went. They were going to have to live for him. They were going to have to obey him. They were going to have to forsake everything to follow him. And many of them were going to have to die for him. They were going to make sure that it was true before they made that commitment. And so they had to see the evidence. And what was that evidence? Well, it was evidence like he had predicted his own death and his own resurrection. The tomb was empty. The angel said, come and see. The angel didn't say, hey, take my word for it. No, come and see. The grave is empty. His body was gone. He is not here. Despite all the efforts of the deniers and the despisers, Jesus' body was gone. And then they saw him with their own eyes. And then their lives were transformed by it. If you study these early believers you'll find out that their doubt turned to faith and their, their grief turned to joy and their fear turned to courage and their selfish ambition turned to humble worship and their pride turned to humility and their denials of Christ that happened just a few hours before turned to bold witness for Christ. And instead of timidity, there was temerity. Instead of bickering, there was servant-heartedness. Instead of silence, there was witness. Instead of weakness, there was power. Instead of a me-first mindset, they became martyrs for the risen Christ. This happened to them, not because they gullibly bought into fake news. This happened to them because they saw the evidence and convinced by the Holy Spirit, they followed that evidence into faith. You see, Folks, faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith is not putting your hands over your eyes and putting your fingers in your ear and closing your mind to evidence and to facts. No, faith is seeing the evidence that God provides and being willing to follow that evidence wherever it leads. And the evidence in creation and the evidence in the person and work of Jesus and the evidence for the resurrection is so compelling, so strong, so conclusive that all who are willing will bow their knee to Jesus. And do you know what happened from this moment on? From this moment on, these disciples and these early followers of Jesus were completely transformed. Completely transformed. And in the space 
of just a few decades after this decisive but obscure moment by a garden tomb, these Christians had spread the message of Christ throughout the Roman world, down into Africa, up into Europe, over into Asia, at least as far as India. Within decades, many of them giving their life in martyrdom as they fearlessly bore witness to the risen Christ. I want you to think about that. Perhaps one of the most powerful arguments for the resurrection is the transforming effect of that resurrection upon the world. Look around. We're about, I don't know, 125 or 30 people here. Thank God for that. Oh, it's so good to be together. Uh, look around. People from all over the world are here. The power of the resurrection. The power and the grace of that one who died for us and was raised from the dead. That power extends over 2,000 years to our corner of the world. And it's touched your life and it's touched my life and it's made us new. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. And we can say to our world, come see the difference it has made in our life. This is what I once was. This is what Jesus has now made me to be. So which are you? Which am I? Are we deniers and disbelievers despite the evidence or are we believers because of the evidence? I urge you, I invite you, if you're not sure where you stand, don't leave here today without making sure. Find somebody to talk to who can help you, who can help you to understand more who Jesus is and what he has done for us. That way you can go home a forgiven, new creation in Christ to live a whole new life of joy and glory in him. And if you are a Christian, friends, these, these, are, these are hard days, aren't they? And even harder days are coming, I think. At times like this, we need to have our eyes focused in the right direction, don't we? We can't put our trust in politics. We can't put our trust in anything other than that one who was crucified and buried and raised and is reigning for us. Let's keep our eyes focused where they belong on King Jesus. He is not here. Why? For he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, oh, thank you for Jesus. And thank you, O oh Lord, for giving us the joy of being able to worship Him, know Him, love Him. Lord, if we are honest, we admit that at some point or another, we are doubters. We have moments where we wonder, is this real? Is this true? Would you please 
confirm faith in our hearts, strengthen faith in our hearts. And as we look out over uh, a world so confused and so broken, Lord, renew our faith. Our Savior lives. And He ever lives, always lives, and will always live as Lord in Christ. Jesus, to your glory, for your glory we pray it. Amen.